Welcome to the Triage Method Podcast with me, Gary McGowan, and my co-host, Mr. Patrick Farrell. Patty, how are you this beautiful Wednesday afternoon that we're recording this? As per usual, Gary, I am absolutely fucking phenomenal. And I hope everyone that is listening is also in the same position. As per usual, this comes out on a Monday. You might be listening to this, you know, I don't know, fucking 50 years into the future. The two of us are cyborgs by now. Who knows, right? But I hope your life is fantastic at the time of listening. Um, anyway, we are going to get stuck in to continue on this training series, I suppose you'd call it. You know, So if you haven't already, definitely go back and listen to the last episode because that is this kind of general inter- introduction to the topic. And if you haven't listened to that episodes or episodes, episode you will probably get somewhat lost throughout the series because the thing that we discussed in the last episode was we'll we'll call it goal setting. And, you know, that has kind of set the scene for what we're going to discuss because you have to be kind of clear on your goals if you are going to design an effective training program, right? And we've taken on the task, you know, a rather big task of effectively giving you two things by the end of this training series. And that is to know how to train and then to know how to design a workout slash overall program right so that's a big fucking demand you know like people go to college for this stuff people you know do thousands of hours of education and we're trying to you know summarize it down into like less than 10 hours or something like that right like probably less than five hours right so we covered goal setting so you've understood that you're like okay i have a you know pretty clear goal pretty pretty clear goal of where i want to be i know you know roughly what i'm aiming towards right so how do we begin the the designing of a workout right because we have to know how to train first of all like you actually have to be able to go into a gym or you know go running or whatever it is that you're trying to do you have to be able to go do that and then also you have to be able to design a workout right and you can start thinking about this stuff from a multitude of different angles um but i think the thing the place that makes the most sense is to bring it back to we'll call it kind of basic anatomy right and you might be thinking like oh well why do i need to know that like surely i just need to know how to squat bench deadlift or whatever else you're like that's that's what i need to know i don't need to think about anatomy right and you could definitely come at it from that perspective you could definitely come at it from the perspective of the only thing you need to learn off at the start is this kind of exercise choreography you know it's like how to do these different movements, you know, just like, you know, you could break down the, the movements that the body can do into a few different categories. You can be like, oh, some sort of squat movement, some sort of lunge movement, some sort of hip hinge movement, some sort of like horizontal press, some sort of like horizontal pull, a vertical press, a vertical pull. And maybe you could throw in a few different other things in there. But you're like, this is the basic broad categories of how human bodies move, right? And you might go, okay, all I need to do to start thinking about exercise is having a pretty basic understanding of how to do those, you know, broad movement categories. That is definitely true to an extent, right? You could definitely just start there. And I think that's where most people start, right? But we're trying to come at this from the perspective that we're starting from a blank slate here. If we were to go back in time and we're like, right, you actually want to have the best understanding, the best room for progress with understanding how to do this stuff, it probably is better to start from the actual start. Well, the actual start is you know, probably actually further back beyond this, but we'll, we'll, we'll only go so far. Um, start from the start and go, what am I actually trying to do with those broad movement categories? Like how does the human body move? And the way we have to understand that is we have to kind of go back to, again, very basic 
anatomy. It's not like you have to know every single muscle in the body. It's not like you have to know every single joint structure, mechanic. You don't need to know all of that stuff. You just have to have a very broad understanding, a very basic surface level understanding of how the muscles in your body move and you know what those muscles are doing, right? Because that actually allows you to design a way more effective workout program, right? Because you might be like, oh, bicep curls work the bicep, right? And, you know, obviously that's true. It's, it's literally in the name, right? But if you don't understand, you know, very basic anatomy, you might be like, okay, well, I'm just going to do a million and one different bicep curls, right? Because, oh, I'm just going to train my biceps, right? I just, that's how we train the biceps. When there's actually probably a huge degree of just overlap and you're like, you're not actually getting a huge amount extra from all of these different variations, we probably would have been better off just doing, you know, one or two different variations here to get everything that we wanted done. Like a, a good example is like, you see all these different things, but like, oh, this is how we're going to target different aspects of the quads, for example. And you're like, you're, you're not really doing that just by, you know, shifting your feet inwards or outwards or doing whatever. It's like, like this is not really accomplishing what you set out to accomplish so we have to bring this back to some very basic anatomy and gary as you are an anatomy wizard you know that's what we'll categorize you as you have the the prerequisite qualifications to uh give you that title Uh, and also you do all of the content for our education site in terms of you know anatomy biomechanics all that kind of stuff you have a pretty you know a decent level of understanding of this stuff First of all, would you agree that we should start at basic mechanics? Is there something else you think, oh, we'll start somewhere else? And then also, if we are going to start at basic mechanics and try to understand that stuff, like how does someone start to understand that stuff? Now, obviously, this is just a, a spoken word or, you know, it's somewhat visual if you're watching it on YouTube. And um, so we're not going to be able to be like, here's all of the anatomy chart, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, this is somewhat theoretical, but how can someone start thinking about that stuff? So firstly, when you're thinking about anatomy, you have to think of it in terms of the different levels. So uh, the discussion of like cytology and histology wouldn't have much relevance here as it applies to exercise. But at the same time, there's actually a couple of things that would be relevant within cytology and histology. So the study of what's going on at the level of tissue and what's going on at the level of the cell. Because when we talk about muscle, which is effectively what we would be talking about most of the time when we're discussing anatomy in the context of exercise, we actually have to start at that micro level where at the micro anatomical level, what's going on effectively is if you, is that you've got overlapping layers of proteins within your muscle cells, actin and myosin primarily, but many other proteins such as Titan and Desmond and many others that are involved in muscle contraction. And these are the proteins that you're effectively trying to put tension on in order to get certain adaptations, whether they be increases in um, muscle size or increase in muscle strength or force production, etc. Okay, so you can see Patty's book there. You know, he's got the various layers of what's going on in the level of the sarcomere. And if you're a member of the Coach's Corner, you'll have heard me discuss this in great detail. So effectively, within the muscle... This is literally, again, you don't need to know a huge amount about this stuff. Very basic stuff. Like, this is literally, like, you know, anatomy essentials from, like, you know, that four dummies series, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, 
I'm talking like this is just basic stuff, you know. So you don't need to go into like even like Gary's talking about there. It's like, oh, you need to know the actual like we'll call it biochemistry down to the very specific levels. Like this stuff is really helpful, but it's not like you have to be an expert at no. this stuff just to work out. Sorry for interrupting. Not at all. Like the fundamental principle that you need to extract from the, the microanatomy, at least, is that the proteins in there are going to respond to tension. That's fundamentally what you need to, to understand. Um, also understanding, I suppose, that at that microanatomical level, there are many other things within your muscles, such as um, energy stores. You know, people always talk about muscle glycogen. There's also going to be fluid within there. There's going to be various um, meshes involved in the supply of energy, like calcium channels and mitochondria, etc. All of these things are involved in the provision of energy during exercise, and then also the adaptations that we get from exercise. So there's some relevant things to extract there. But fundamentally, the main thing is that muscle is an active tissue. It uses energy. Some of the adaptations respond to the use of that energy. And then also it's responding to tension that's placed on it. Okay. That's about as much as you need to extract from the micro level. As we zoom out and move to the more macroanatomical level, I suppose one kind of prerequisite for understanding the role of muscle and thus the subsequent adaptations is to first look at the level of the joint. So when we talk about joints, we're typically talking about the um, articulation or two bones coming together. You can think of it as um, it's not always two bones. But often we're talking about two bones coming together um, and moving on each other. They could be, you know, hinging, they could be pivoting, they could be rotating, etc. Okay, there's many different uh, types of joint movements and the movement that's available at a, at a given joint depends on how it's structured. So, for example, the elbow would be considered to be a hinge joint, whereas your shoulder and hip would be a ball and socket joint. And then your, your or ball and socket joints, and then your knee would be a hinge joint as well, um, with some rotation in there, but primarily a hinge joint. So th that may not seem like it's particularly important, but it does become important when understanding exercise, because Patty mentioned previously the example of, for example, um, rotating the feet in and out on a squat to uh, target different portions of the quads. But if you can understand that the knee is primarily a hinge joint, then you recognize that moving um, in that plane, you know, changing the position of your feet doesn't really modify what's going on in the quads because they're primarily acting on flexion and extension. And thus, they're not going to be responding too much to, to rotation or changes in hip adduction or abduction. Now, that doesn't mean there's no effect, but just extracting that basic anatomical knowledge, you can get an idea of what's going on. Additionally, if you understand that the shoulder, let's say, is a ball and socket joint, you can appreciate that you could train the same muscles in many different um, planes. So, for example, if you lift your arm out in front of you, you're working your anterior and middle delts. If you lift it out to the side, you're still also working your anterior and middle delts. Um, and for those watching, if you take your arm from the front, you know, with my hand uh, facing inward and I go back like that, um, like a reverse uh, pec deck or a reverse uh, rear delt fly, again, that can be working the middle, middle delts. So they're all different types of movements, but because it's a ball and soccer joint and we know that there's rotation there, we know that we're able to challenge those muscles and that they don't just do one thing. Whereas when it comes to the bicep at a hinge joint, like Patty mentioned previously, 
if you're doing loads of different curls, you're kind of just repeating the same uh, movement and that muscle is just going to be trained consistently through elbow flexion. So that's just a basic, very basic overview of, of the joints. Um, the, the relevance of that really becomes more important when you look at you know, mechanical factors like uh, range of motion at different joints and um, uh, injury mechanisms, et cetera, okay? Now, muscles, um, when it comes to anatomy, obviously I'm not going to walk through all the different uh, muscles in the body because that would just be absurd. But if you understand um, where a muscle originates and where it inserts, so it's proximal and distal attachments, basically the two points at which if you were to think of it as a string that it pulls from or shortens from that can tell you a lot about its function and thus a lot about how you might exercise to get adaptations in that muscle. Because if you were to think of, let's say the, the biceps, again, just being a really easy one. If you've got an attachment above the, the elbow and you've got an attachment below the elbow and you shorten what's in between, you can appreciate that elbow flexion is going to result from that. Similarly, if you look at the pecs, um, they're probably the best example to illustrate this. You've actually got a muscle that is originating all along your sternum, okay? So it's got a big, broad origin. Um, also your clavicle and some other places down near the obliques and upon your osses, et cetera. But you've only got a small little insertion on the upper arm. Okay, you can see this if you're watching the video, you'll see it in Patty's textbook. You can see the broad or origin from the middle um, or medial part of the clavicle all the way down the sternum and then down onto the costal cartilages of the ribs and the oblique aponeurosis. You'll see that's really broad, but then we've got a narrow insertion there by the intertubercular groove on the upper aspect of the humerus. So that's the upper arm or arm bone. And what that actually means is that the upper pec can have a different function to the lower pec. Because if you look at the direction that the fibers pull and you think about the connection between the origin and the insertion, you can begin to appreciate that the upper pec is going to lead to a bit more shoulder flexion along with horizontal adduction, whereas the lower pec would lead to more extension, but that depends on the position that the arm starts in. So it, it, it all starts with anatomy in terms of understanding muscle function. And just, I guess, one more thing on that, because I'm not going to go through every joint or muscle, um, is that there's kind of a, you can kind of think of weight training programs generally um, as like a, a shotgun approach, because what people do when they go to the gym is they'll do a squat variation, a deadlift variation, a bench press, a row, et cetera. And that's all perfect. You actually don't need to know any anatomy at all to get good results. Okay. It's kind of like your shop bought barbecue sauce or like Dalmio pasta sauce. Let's say you go in, it's all pre-mixed. It's ready to go. It's going to satisfy most people, but there's going to be certain people that they'll taste the Dalmio sauce and they'll say, Oh, a little bit too much acidity for me or a little bit too much uh, sweetness for me. Or, Oh, I, I can really, you know, that there's a weird taste I'm getting off that personally. And that mightn't be the same for every single person. So if you were to be the expert, you know, the chef, you probably wouldn't be making Dalmio pasta sauce or putting that into your recipes. You'd probably be starting from scratch and playing around with different variables and understanding what the individual ingredients that go into it do, you know, what, what sort of flavor profiles they contribute. 
And that's very similar to how a competent personal trainer thinks of an exercise program. They recognize that this client presenting to them, um, if they have no other issues, no significant training history, they're probably going to be fine on a basic program that they could get online. You know, they'll probably get results from it but they probably won't be their best results. And especially for that individual, as we analyze, let's say, the knee pain that they've struggled with in the past and their anatomical um, structure, you know, their relative proportions. And, you know, as you um, talk to them about exercise, what they have struggled with in the past in terms of technique, et cetera, et cetera. You can come to a more specific uh, program outcome for that person. That doesn't mean that it's every person requires a drastically different program because many people will, you know, have, follow a, a similar enough program at the beginning and get fine results. But there will always be outliers. There will always be exceptions. And those are the people that having a solid understanding of anatomy can really help you to reach out to and help. Yeah, 100%. And just going back there, because I just obviously showed a few images, like ultimately, what you want to be able to do, and like I say, you're not going to go through every single muscle in the body. That would that would be excessive. But what you basically want to be able to do is go, here is, like you see them all the time. You walk into a gym, usually they're held in some sort of assessment room or whatever. You have like a, a an image of a human body. Usually they're really muscular because obviously you want to accentuate the muscles, you know, so we can actually see, visualize what's going on. Um but you want to be able to go, okay, that's the pec. What is the pec? Okay, that's the chest. Okay. And like I said, you're like, okay, there seems to be a few diff different things going on here with the chest, right? You need to be asking yourself, like, what movements actually target those different areas? Or what, you probably said a different way, like, what does that actually do? Okay, you see your chest. Now, in your head, you need to be able to go, okay, well, what does the chest actually do? Is it just all oh, chest, bench, press? That's it, you know? Because you think about that, it goes back to that kind of similar saying of, you know, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? So if all you know how to do would be like, okay, the only thing I know that works my chest is a bench press, right? And that's, that's the extent of your knowledge. Like, obviously, you're not going to be able to modify your chest training, right? Because you only have a bench press to play with, right? And there's only so many like modifications you can make, maybe grip distance or grip width even, um, to, to change that and obviously yeah that does do something but you're still limited by just that exercise right so you want to learn anatomy to a basic level where you could look at an anatomy chart you know again a, a basic anatomy chart and go okay that's the whatever muscle right and then you should be able to go i know these exercises that target that muscle right that's the baseline we need to be at that level right now ideally we do go a little bit beyond that level and go okay, this is why this would be a better exercise to target this muscle, right? Or this is why this would be a better exercise for me or if you're a personal trainer for other individuals to target this muscle, right? So we need to have that baseline where you're able to go, okay, I understand, you know, the different muscles in the body. I can have a pretty, you know, basic understanding of what this muscle does. Like if someone says, what does your lat do? You know, you could be like, okay, this is what the lat does. And maybe you not, you might not use words like, oh, I know how to use words like abduct or anything like that. You don't need to know the, the technical terms. You just need to be able to go, okay, well, if I want to work my lat, I need to, you know, pull my arm down here or pull my arm back. You're like, okay, that's, that's working my lat. And then you go, okay, well, what would change if I was to put my arm out to the side here? 
does that change how my lap functions or how it works, right? You need to be able to just, you know, explain those different things if you're trying to design up the best workout and then also to be able to understand exercise much more cohesively. And again, you can go into the gym, like I said, and you can go, okay, I can get good results by just going in and doing the quote unquote basics that everyone has always done. It's like, oh, here's your bench press. Just do your bench press if you want a bigger chest. And that's fine for a certain percentage of the population. That's going to work, right? You go in, you just exercise. You've no need to modify things or do anything at all. You just do what, again, whatever random program you found online. You go, cool, got, got results with that. But you would be able to get far better results likely. Uh, and then over time, ideally avoid injuries and stuff or at least you know somewhat prevent injuries by having a better understanding of anatomy having a better understanding of how bodies actually move you know beyond just a oh bicep does this you know it's like okay well we want to you know dig a little bit deeper right and also like books like this like this is literally i think my dad got this in fucking little or aldi or something like that and it literally just goes through like oh here's all the different muscles that are worked in you know different exercises it's like you know some of it's not necessarily all that accurate but stuff like this can be really helpful for just visualizing like oh so those are the muscles that are active when i'm doing this exercise and you might not think oh well, why are we starting at this anatomy level like why are we you know like we, we don't need to start here if you've ever been a personal trainer and you're actually talking to people in person, like you might be like, okay, we're going to do this exercise. And you might be thinking, oh, they're going to feel this in their hamstrings, for example. Right. But the reality of the situation is like, I can't feel what you can feel. I can only feel what I can feel. Right. There's, that's, that's the nature of humans. Right. So when I'm doing an exercise, I might feel it, you know, I'm like, oh, wow, I'm actually getting a tremendous stretch on my hamstrings with this exercise, right? But someone else might be like, I literally only feel my low back on this exercise. Like something like a, an ordeal, a Romanian deadlift, right? They might be like, no, I'm not getting a, you know, this great stretch on my hamstrings here. All I'm feeling, if I try to go any deeper, I'm feeling this in my back, right? And a common one as well is like, if you do some sort of like deadlift variation, you might be, have been told that, oh, this is a great exercise for your hamstrings, your glutes, and like your upper back and maybe your grip as well, or something like that. Right. And then you wake up the next morning and you're like, Jesus Christ, my low back feels like someone has just hit me with a fucking sledgehammer. Right. And you might in your head be like, something's gone wrong now because they're not the muscles that were supposed to be working. I shouldn't be feeling it there. I should be feeling it hamstrings, glutes, upper back, whatever. Right. But if you were to actually understand, oh, well, these are the muscles that are involved in this exercise. That's why you're feeling it here. Right then you have a much better understanding of, again, that exercise and then also how to program that exercise effectively going forward, right? And then also how to modify exercises for you going forward, right? Like you might be like, I actually don't need to touch the barbell onto the ground to get the hip hinging benefits that I want. You know, maybe I can do a rack pull or an RDL or something like that, right? And rather than just a full deadlift. So understanding anatomy, just again, very basic anatomy, allows you to get better results i would argue and again you don't have to start here you can look at this as purely just exercises choreography you just need to learn off like how to squat right and if that is the case and you want to go down the the route of just looking at it as choreography then you still need to eventually come back to anatomy to be able to go like okay this is the ideal squat form or whatever exercise form you're like this is what it should theoretically look like you know someone with perfect body proportions like say for example a squat 
you want to see someone with these little short femurs and it's like, oh, this perfectly upright high bar squat position, you know, no limitation at the ankle, nothing, right? You're going to be like, okay, that's how it's supposed to look. You're going to have a different squat presentation when you actually do it yourself. And then also, again, if you are a trainer yourself, you're going to see people squat differently. You know, maybe they have to put their legs a little bit wider. Maybe they tip forward a little bit and they're not quite over the, the center of their foot and different things like that. If you don't understand anatomy from a basic level, you're not going to be able to modify that exercise. And while yes, exercise to a large extent is actually quite intuitive, right? Like it's not, it's not that hard. Like you can literally, you can feel your muscles working. If you're doing it right, you can be like, Oh, I actually feel it in this area. And then also you can visually see when something is off, you can be like, okay, well actually you're tipping to your right side a little bit here or whatever. Like you can visually assess it. Right. That's fine up until a point. And again, that'll get you quite far. But when you actually have some real modifying to do, like you're like, Oh, actually I'm not getting great results in my quads from this squat, you know? If all you know is like, oh, well, the only thing I can modify here now is to do more or less of that exercise because you don't understand anatomy, you know, you're like, you, 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 you kind of just closed yourself off from actual progress, right? And this is a lot of the times the problem with discussing exercise, the people that get great results from just doing the standard are usually the ones that have the loudest voices, you know, they're just like, oh, well, just squat to get bigger legs. And it's like, yeah, that's cool for you who's like five foot eight and like perfectly built to squat. I'm like the only thing that got bigger from me squatting, getting my squat to over 500 pounds was my ass, right? Cause I'm six foot five and I have fucking longest femurs in the world. Right. And from an anatomy perspective, you would go, Oh, well clearly doing a squat like this, even a high bar squat for you, all it's going to build is your ass because of the way you're actually, you're moving through space. Right. So ultimately the more you understand with anatomy, the better results you're likely going to be able to get, right? Would you agree with that statement, Gary? Yeah, and you don't even have a big ass, you know, so I don't know what happened. See, this is the thing. I just stopped squatting because I don't want to have a big ass. It's just, it's just not attractive, in men at least. Oh, it is. Oh, it is. <laughs> Look, whatever you're into, that's just it's not for me, you know? Fair enough, bro. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, look, it, it, it is a, a key point that the muscles recruited and especially those that are become the limiting factor in an exercise are going to vary considerably based on uh, your individual anatomy and, and of course your your technique and, and everything like that as well um, because this is actually something that people you know sometimes create a straw man about you know they'll say oh come on what do you mean your quads aren't working you know your quads are obviously working if you're squatting 180 kilos or whatever you squat um just squat heavy bro and it's fine but the reality is that when you're trying to build muscle what you're trying to do is not just have the muscle work okay that's clearly not enough it's that you want that specific muscle that you're trying to target to become the limiting factor okay so while someone might be squatting and you know getting stronger and everything and their quads might be getting good work in they could be finishing the set at zero reps in reserve for their low back because it's sore or they're starting to lean forward and that's limiting factor but still be at five six reps in reserve for their quads that their quads have more in the tank but their low back is the thing that's becoming a limiting factor similarly people who um, have similar complaints on bench press 
they might find that their shoulders are the limiting factor and their chest, again, could have five, six reps in reserve, but the shoulders have zero reps in reserve. So when we talk about like reps in reserve and RPE and, and proximity to failure, et cetera, we're always talking about that or, or, or we're trying to specify that a little bit with respect to, okay, what is causing the failure? Like what is bringing you to that point? And if it's not the target muscle or target muscles, then we're not exactly achieving what we want. We have this conversation very often with clients as it relates to grip, for example. If someone's doing um, deadlifts and their grip is the limiting factor as opposed to their glutes, their hamstrings, their low back, et cetera, then that's kind of pointless from a muscle building perspective because your grip is going to be drastically weaker than the load that could be carried by your glutes, hamstrings, and posterior chain. So just important to, to qualify that discussion that when we say, um, oh, someone's anatomy might lead to them not getting much quad stimulus out of an exercise, we're not saying the quads aren't working or in a bench press, we're not saying the chest isn't working, but rather that other factors, whether that be uh, joint pain, um, muscle fatigue in another area or a grip limitation, et cetera, that that's becoming a limiting factor where we don't want it to be. Yeah, 100%. So basically, learn some basic anatomy. The more you learn on it, the better you're going to get results or the better results you're going to get, I should say, right? So that's the foundation. We learn anatomy. Again, pick up a simple book, you know, literally go on Google, go on like whatever, Wikipedia and be like chest muscles, you know, and get a, you know, fairly broad, basic understanding of, okay, these are the chest muscles, you know? Like this is also something that you see a lot of the time where, learning to exercise from the choreography standpoint can actually leave you in a severe deficit in terms of being able to target certain muscles. For example, you know, you might be like, okay, I know how to train the triceps, but if I was to be like, right, how do you train the different aspects of that tricep? You know, you might be in a complete loss being like, oh, well, the only exercises I know are like a tricep, you know, press down a skull crusher, maybe, and like maybe an overhead, you know, some sort of overhead, just, extension right if i was like oh how do you train your long head you might be just at a complete loss you might be like i actually don't know now obviously like well, i'm not saying where you can just completely isolate whatever ahead of the tricep or whatever but like like how can we bias more attention here like you might be able to get fantastic results you know a certain aspect of your muscle might be just responding really well but another aspect just might not be right and you might be like well i actually want to get better results for this aspect of the muscle again to whatever degree we can target certain aspects of a, a given muscle but you might be like i want to just bias my training towards that a little bit if you don't understand how to modify exercises or make better exercises exercise selection choices what are you going to do again just do more or less of that exercise that you are currently doing it's like you come to a, an impasse you know you come to a plateau where you're like your level of knowledge gets stopped if all you know is choreography then where do you go from there you know again this becomes very apparent when you have body parts that respond really well you're just like okay i don't know my upper body seems to be progressing quite nicely it's like i'm getting great return on investment but my lower body is just not progressing. Again, where do you go if you don't understand anatomy? You might be like, well, I'm doing the same amount of volume for these muscle groups, the legs, as I'm doing for my upper body. Is that the issue? You do I need to do less, more, whatever? And it's like, if we go back and we understand anatomy, you might be like, okay, the exercise selection choices that you've made, they're not ideal for you, right? So we, we go back to that, right? So let's assume we've learned some basic anatomy. Again, Wikipedia, 
general Google, general search engine, whatever, right? You've, you've done that. You have a basic understanding. If I go in and go, here's a bench press, what muscles are being worked? You're saying, you know, some basic stuff like my chest muscles, predominantly, you know, more of the lower chest in a bench press and my, you know, front delt and my triceps. You're able to identify that kind of stuff. We go, okay, we're going to squat. What muscles are being worked? You can be like these, 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 and these. And then I could be like, well, what if I had a lower bar position? Where does that shift stuff? You might be like, okay, well, actually, you're going to get a little bit more attention on the glutes, just a generic, you know, in the head, right? You might have an actual individual that gets more quads from <laughs> low bar squatting, but, you know, generic here, right? You're able to say that kind of stuff, right? So that puts you in a far better position longer term, right? The next thing then is we actually need to learn that choreography. You actually need to be able to move, right? And this is one of those things where it's like, uh, you need to apply the stuff that you are learning, right? And there's multiple ways that you can do this. But the way I kind of like to do this is to think in your head of like, okay, well, this is how we should move for again, we'll go for a squat. You're like, I'm trying to train the quads. So I'm going to squat because, you know, I want to train the quads, right? And it's one of the exercises we can do. First of all, you might be like, okay, well, how do I modify a, a squat to get more quad activation? And you might modify it that way. What I usually like people to do, especially when they're learning this stuff, is to record themselves, right? And to look at it, look at it, play it back and go, does what it, you think in your head, what a, an ideal squat should look like, or what will target the quads, does that actually look like what it looks like when you do it, right? And if not, why not, right? Is that something that's a limitation of your body? Is it something that you're like, I actually don't know how to move? For example, you might think that, oh, I'm getting great depth on these squats. And then you do the squat, you record it, and it looks like you're literally squatting two inches. You know, it's like, okay, well, we actually need to modify something. We need to at least come closer to that kind of choreography, that generic choreography of like, this is what a squat looks like, right? Basically, what I'm saying is you need to be fairly confident that you can move your body in the way that you think or conceptualize moving a body right there's no point going oh well if we get the knees traveling a little bit further forward on a squat we're going to get a bit more uh, quad activation like that's fine as a concept to understand but if you're not actually able to do that in the exercise yourself you don't know what that feels like you don't know what that experience is like and what potential limitations occur once that happens because it's very easy to come up with a theoretical this is how i'm going to train my quads and then you do it and you realize actually that's just not not possible like you might be like oh well a great exercise to train the quads is going to be you know squatting like bar on my back and doing some sort of like sissy squat right you might think that then you go to do it you literally put the 20 kilos of the bar on your back and you're like jesus fucking christ i can't even i can't even do this right so you do have to kind of experience it and you do have to kind of have that little bit of uh trial and error with the actual movement of your body and you have to build that what's often called the kind of mind muscle connection to understand that okay these exercises are supposed to target these different muscles am i actually able to feel that right and there's two concepts or two aspects to this feeling of it there's the aspect of it of in the moment are you actually able to feel your quads working again whatever muscle it is that you're, you're trying to target that's an, a, a good uh proxy for whether or not you have a good like we'll call it a neurological connection to those muscles you know it's like we'll just say can you actually feel it can you flex it independently like you know you're like oh, can i flex my pecs like for example you know like people you know, doing it there um like you can just flex your pecs right it's like can you actually do that oh you can't do that how do you think you're going to flex your pecs when you have load 
you know it's like now obviously again like under load you are going to flex your pecs to lift that load but i mean like how are you actually going to really try to bias those muscles with that exercise if you can't flex it without a load right so we need to have that kind of let's build up this mind muscle connection let's build up this ability to contract those muscles so there's the in the moment feeling but then afterwards this is a good uh, tester to see if what you've been doing is actually targeting the muscles that you want right a lot of old timers used to do this before we had any you know way of necessarily quantifying what muscles were worked obviously just we could look at it theoretically or whatever but like a lot of like you know in the 50s and even before there people would just go in and be like i think this exercise is going to target this muscle and um, or this aspect of the muscle or whatever well, i'm going to go in and i'm just going to fucking do a million sets of this right so just go in and be like all right i'm just going to do this literally 100 reps or you know 10 sets of 10 or 20 sets or whatever they literally just blast it and then they see what is sore the next day right and you can be like okay wow actually i was doing this exercise and i thought it was going to target the chest right but for me the only thing that was sore the next day was my triceps right now that's not to say that that's you know, a perfect foolproof way of understanding what muscles are being targeted and when, because that does actually change over time and depending on if you've built more muscle, etc. But, you know, it's a good first introduction of going, okay, well, I felt my chest working during the workout. I also felt my triceps working during the workout. The next day, my triceps were in bits, but my chest didn't really feel a huge amount. That leads me to kind of think that my triceps were being a bit more biased during that workout, right? So, we need to have that kind of, we'll call it feeling that uh, emotional maybe response to training where it's like, okay, I can actually feel the muscle working during the exercise. And then the next day I can actually feel that, oh, I was targeting my chest and it's actually a little bit sore the next day. You know, I have that delayed onset muscle soreness the next day. So I know that what I was working or trying to target was actually targeted. Would you agree with that, Gary? First of all, in terms of the you need to learn how to move it yourself first. And then you need to really build up that kind of, again, whatever you want to call it, that actual feeling of exercise and that after exercise feeling too. Absolutely. And this is something we focus on a lot in our coaching where, you know, we'll have people send us training clips and then we can look, you know, I guess somewhat objectively at, right. What are the joint angles uh, that this person is exhibiting at different points in the rep um, are they losing positioning? How's their technique from our perspective? But then also looking at that subjectively and asking the person, what did you feel the limiting factor was at the end of the set when you decided to stop and put the weight back? And if that is not in line with the expectation or the desire um, from that exercise, then we might consider um, maybe modifying technique a bit, modifying tempo, modifying the load, or potentially shifting to a different exercise if it's a very obvious limiting factor that we don't want. Um, further to that, I, I think something that requires a bit of education along the way is having people understand that just because they feel a certain area um, getting sore during exercise, that that's not inherently harmful or undesirable. The most common one there is if we're training the trying to train the quads and the lower body generally, and someone starts to feel their low back getting sore during the set, they might be worried. They might be thinking, oh God, it's my low back. You know, I don't want to be feeling that. Or during bench press, let's say someone feels their shoulders working and they think that's a bad thing because they've heard of people hurting their shoulders on a bench press, for example. But the reality is that 
like all of these other muscles are still going to be working and it's normal for your low back to feel fatigued and even to get sore um, afterwards. But at the extreme end of that spectrum is where you don't even get the chance to feel your quads or your glutes working because your low back just takes the brunt of the load or the next day your low back is crippled and you don't even feel like you've trained your quads and you could nearly go in and train them again. Okay. That's when that really starts to become important. So there's two elements there, as you said, you want to try to, or three elements. You want to look at the technical aspects of the exercise. One of the best ways to do that is to video yourself. Does it meet what you thought it was going to look like? Then there's the aspect of um, what you're feeling within the session. What do you feel the limiting factor is? Are you feeling the desired muscle work, um, both in terms of the stretch that you're experiencing at one end of the rep and then the contraction at the other end of the rep or the, the overall pump during and after the set? And then after um, the, the exercise session, are you getting sore the next day? Are you getting sore two days after, as Patty said, it's not necessarily an indicator of success, but even early on in a program, you should be experiencing some degree of soreness, or you should at least, you know, if you trained your legs hard, um, and you're going doing some stairs the next day, you know, you should be feeling like your quads have been worked. Like they've, they are fatigued. And what I would say is that if your quads or your chest or any other muscle of interest, um, is feeling fresh the next day and other muscles like your shoulders or your low back are feeling like they've really taken a beating, then I'd be considering in that case um, modifying the exercise selection or some other variable um, based on that information. Yeah, 100%. And like you said, I guess like the pain after exercises or the day after or whatever, the DOMS, the delayed onset muscle soreness, it's not the be all and end all. However, it does give you a somewhat of an indication. Like again, you're not going to be sore, you know, crippling pain after every workout. That wouldn't be less than ideal. But again, you should have a little bit of an awareness of like, oh, I felt my, yeah, my quads are feeling a little bit there. Or like you reach up to go for something, you're like, oh, I, yeah, I feel like I worked my chest yesterday or something like that. You know, you should be feeling a little something there, right? Again, not crippling necessarily, not nothing, somewhere in that kind of in between, right? <laughs> um, and this kind of brings us to the next point, right? Which is when we're looking at all this stuff, right? So right now you're fairly confident. You have an understanding of basic anatomy. You know how to move. You can kind of look and go, okay, I want to squat. This is what a squat theoretically should look like. This is how I would squat. And then you might be like, okay, well, for me to actually get the best quad stimulus, this kind of movement is not going to be the best, right? I've tried the movement during the exercise. Like you said earlier on, we'll go for that squat variation. And during the movement, I felt my low back was the limiting factor rather than my quads. And they weren't getting as much of a stimulus as I wanted. The next day, again, the low back, the glutes, they kind of felt like there was something a bit more going on. They felt a little bit more doms. The quads, I wasn't feeling that much, right? So this comes back to, we need to be able to analyze the goal of that exercise, which again goes back to the discussion we had in the last podcast, where you have to have a pretty good idea of what the goal is, right? So we have a pretty good idea of what the goal is. Let's say in this case, it's to build muscle. And you're like, okay, well, I'm going to pick certain exercises because I want to build muscle. And one of the muscles that you want to build is the quads, right? So you look at your exercise selection, you look at your program that you've designed up until now, the exercises that you've picked, and you go, I'm actually not feeling my quads as much. I'm feeling my glutes. I'm feeling my low back, right? So if you look at that and you are actually able to be honest with yourself and go, 
this is not actually effectively targeting my quads. And the reason I say, if you're honest with yourself is because we often don't align our exercise selection with our actual goals or our perceived goals. Like you might be like, I want to build my quads, but you have this, uh, enamorment if you will uh, like you're enamored with the squat you know you see other people squat big weights and you're like oh i actually want to push my squat because it's something that you can do you know pretty much anywhere there's a gym and then also you can compare yourself to others and that's you know why people like to do it but you might be like okay well actually this is not going to be the best exercise for my quads and some other exercise is going to be better so we have to be able to look at the goal of the exercise the goal of the overall program the goal of the exercise and then we need to be able to pick a better exercise or modify that exercise so that we can get a better stimulus for what we want, right? And again, in the case of this, you might be like, well, you know what? To get more towards this idealized squat form that I know is going to target my quads more because I have a basic understanding of anatomy and you know, you could say biomechanics as well, you could be like, I actually need to do something like a hack squat, right? Because that's actually going to allow me to be in this more upright position. It's going to allow me to get a little bit more forward knee travel. It's going to allow me to be in a position that targets my quads more, right? So you can go on that and go, okay, so I'm actually going to swap out this squat. I'm going to swap it out for a hack squat, right? Or again, you might be like, you know what? Actually, that's not the reason you know, I actually just need to change it to a low bar squat. That's actually going to target my quads more because what's happening here in this high bar squat position is, you know, I'm a little bit, my, my torso is a little bit too long and I'm tipping forward a little bit too much. And, you know, it goes over my toes a little bit and then my hips shoot further back and you know, different things like that. Right. So you're like, if I was actually in a low bar position, which, you know, people would say, oh, this is going to target your glutes more. This is going to target, you know, your hamstrings more even. And um, you could be like, well, for me, if I was to do that exercise in a lower bar position, it actually does allow me to stay a little bit more upright, get the knees forward, traveling a little bit more and actually get more quad stimulus, right? So you need to be able to either modify the exercise or pick a different exercise to better target what you actually want to target. And again, the only way you're going to be able to do that is if you know what you're trying to target. And oftentimes what happens is we just have this shotgun approach where it's just like, oh, we're just going to do a million and one exercises for the quads because that's what's always been done. And we're going to hope that that leads to the outcomes that we want. When in reality, like there probably is a more precise way of actually targeting the muscles that we want to target. You know, would you agree with all that, Gary? Like in terms of we need to go back to the goal of the overall exercise plan, the goal of that actual individual exercise. And then we need to use that information to actually either modify that exercise or pick a better exercise. Cause I would say for the vast majority of people, they should, you know, oftentimes just pick a better exercise. Absolutely. And I think they, this increases in priority with uh, training age or advancement as well, because one of the things that you run into as you become more advanced, especially if your goal is muscle building is that you're going to require a higher level of volume. Uh, so you're going to be doing using heavier weights, obviously, cause you're stronger, but you're going to be doing more sets and then you're probably going to be taking yourself closer to failure on every set in order to get decent results. And with that comes obviously a lot of stress on your joints and other muscles that if they've picked up, you know, niggling injuries over the years might flare up at the, those, those higher loading um, thresholds. So effectively you end up with these kind of inherent barriers to you being able to apply the training stimulus that you need to, in order to, to get, those adaptations. So if you're smarter about your loading, so for example, choosing the exercises that you know give you the best 
um, stimulus to fatigue ratio, as some people say, um, that's going to give you better outcomes. So for example, um, it might be you find that when you do front squats, your quads are just on fire. You know, your quads just get hammered or a hack squat, your quads are getting hammered. Whereas with a back squat, you find that your low back or your hips um, or hip musculature takes more of the load. Like, like for me, a back squat, my adductors always become the limiting factor in terms of overall volume tolerance, whereas other exercises get a bit more quads out of it. So in those cases for advanced lifters who are trying to maximize muscle building, thinking about the exercises that allow you to get the greatest stimulus on the target muscle without the limiting factors of um, sore uh, joints or muscles or whatever, um, that's definitely something that you want to be looking to, especially if you're finding you're at that point where you know, you're, you're trying to get your, your 20 sets a week for chest or whatever, but your shoulders are just becoming the limiting factor every time. And as a result, both your strength and your muscle building have stagnated for quite some time. Yeah, hundred percent. I definitely agree with you in terms of that, because this is so important for your long-term progress to actually be able to pick exercises that don't cause you pain, right. That don't lead to, again, these different joint structures or, you know, other muscles will call it like as you said like you might be like oh i want to do squats for my quads and all of a sudden your adductors are actually the limiting factor it's like we can choose better exercises and this is something that during the pandemic i was you know saying to a lot of our clients uh, in terms of like it's rare that you actually first of all have access to the best exercises anyway you know people were freaking out going like oh well i don't have access to you know this fucking unbelievable chest press machine that i normally have access to right and you might be like well realistically even with access to that it's probably not necessarily even the most perfect 100% exercise that you could be doing for your chest. So we're always somewhere on the spectrum or the continuum of this is 1000% the best exercise for you, for your individual mechanics, for your individual anatomy. And then also this is a crap exercise, right? So we're somewhere on that spectrum at all times, right? You might be like, oh, I actually get a phenomenal response from my chest muscles from a bench press. Like we'll just go archetypical. You're just like, oh, a bench press works my chest fantastically, right? But just because you're getting great results from that doesn't mean that something like a, I don't know, a reverse banded Smith machine chest press or a bench press is not going to actually be even more beneficial, right? So we're always somewhere on that spectrum, right? So what are we actually trying to achieve? Again, we go back to our understanding of anatomy. We want to progressively apply tension to the muscles that we're trying to grow, right? And ideally, especially in the context of individuals that want to make progress over the long haul, you know, we're not just going to go, oh yeah, like I can progress for 12 weeks and then all my joints fall apart. And we want to actually make sure that the muscles that are trying to be targeted, they're the ones that are the limiting factor. And it's not the joints or other muscles that are the limiting factor. You might have to modify an exercise, even though you are still getting good returns from that exercise, right? You might be like, okay, well, actually I'm feeling a little bit more, you know, again, we'll use the bench press. You're feeling a little bit more shoulder uh, joint pain, something in there, you know, maybe it's your bicep tendon. You're kind of like, I can't really pinpoint it. You might be like, well, actually I need to modify my exercise technique, even though I'm still getting good returns on investment. You know, you'll see this all the time, especially as people advance, they'll be like, right, well, actually 
I'm, I'm built a pretty muscular physique. I've built a pretty strong physique, but I still get shoulder pain or I still get this, you know, in the script kind of pain in my shoulder when I bench press. And you're looking at them going like, man, you just bench pressed 140 like kilos for five. It's like, you have pain, you know? So like, why would you? Like you, you, you're getting great results from this exercise when in reality it's like, well, they could have got better results from a different exercise with less pain, you know? So it's not like, getting stronger or bigger or whatever is a cure-all for this. Like you can get stronger, bigger, you know, whatever, in spite of the fact that you're not doing the best exercise because the human body realistically at the end of the day doesn't fucking care because it all comes back to tension, right? It all comes back to, this is the tension that you are applying, the stimulus that you're applying to these muscle cells in this case, and they're responding in the best way that they can so that in future, they are better able to, you know, survive in this environment, you know? So even if the you know, stimulus is not absolutely perfect ideal for that muscle cell, it's still going to respond in the way that it, it, it does, right? But you could still be choosing a better exercise, right? So it does come back, understand the anatomy, understand the goal of the exercise, choose better exercises over time or modify the exercises so they are better for you over time and you will be able to continually progress. And this is something that often goes back and forth in my mind. I'm like, do people get limited like what causes a plateau? You know, someone's been working out for 10 years. Is the plateau caused by the stimuluses, stimuli that they have available to them? You know, it's like, well, like they've absolutely maximized all they can get from just your basic squat, right? It's like, they're not actually getting any more from that, but there is actually still some quad growth there. It's just in the form of a leg press or it's in the form of a hack squat or some other exercise where it's like the limiting factor for that quad growth was the fact that doing a squat always caused the low back to be the limiting factor. It wasn't actually the quads. And even though your quads have grown, they didn't grow to the max that they could have because you weren't really effectively stimulating them. Whereas you swap to something like a, I don't know, again, a reverse banded hack squat. And all of a sudden you're like, wow, actually I've never felt my quads, you know, feel as pumped as this. I've never felt them feel as, you know, in pain as this and all of a sudden you're like oh well, now i have an extra five to ten years of muscle growth to milk from that you know it's like that is one of the thoughts that i have like you know rattles around in my mind it's like oftentimes and you see this all the time as well where people do change exercise modalities they learn more you know they've been tra- training for 10 years 15 years whatever they get exposed to some other information better information and then they start changing up their exercise technique and their exercise selection and all of a sudden you're like well you're actually continuing to get results you know so that is something that kind of rattles around in my head but there's no huge real answer to it right now unless you have any insight for that gary no i'm afraid i don't I didn't think so. So anyway, this all comes back down. So we've understood anatomy. We've understood understood to an extent exercise selection in terms of, okay, we want to move a certain way. We have this idealized way. Record yourself. Do you move like that? No, you don't move like that. Let's modify this. Okay, we've modified it. You're actually targeting the muscles that you want to target. Cool. You can actually feel it during the exercise. You can feel it the day after, whatever. You're actually picking exercises that lead to the target muscles being the limiting factor, not some other muscles or joints. And we're in a good place, right? Then we start getting into this final thing. And this is to start the discussion for the next episode. This has all been building towards what we'd call the perfect rep, right? And this is just a perfect rep from the aspect or the the almost visual aspect, right? It's like, okay, well, it looks like it's targeting the muscles effectively. You're also feeling it. Right. You're like, okay, I feel the muscles working and I feel them the next day. Right. 
we can still further modify that because what we've just been talking about is you know how you move right but we don't just like it's not just like a we don't have like this one dimension of space, right? We also have a, a fourth dimension, if you will, of time, right? So how you, like the tempo at which you move as well is important from a ver- variety of aspects. So we want to prescribe some sort of tempo to that exercise. Now that can be a very formalized tempo and be like, we're going to use this to modify the tension on the muscles at different stages. Like maybe we want to have a little bit of a pause here in this bottom position. For example, the calves are a good uh, example of this. Like, because of that Achilles tendon, you're able to store a lot of elastic energy in that bottom position because that's what the calves do. They basically want to store a lot of elastic energy to spring forward, right? So if you're going, I want to actually really target my calves, we probably want to put in a a tempo prescription there where we actually pause for a little bit, let some of that elastic energy dissipate, and then actually use the calves rather than, you know, momentum, if you will, to, and that stored elastic energy to kind of bounce us back out of that bottom position, right? And it's the same with a variety of other exercises. We might put in like strategic pauses. Again, you can go into a little bit more like muscle physiology, if you will, but we could also put in a, a bit of a longer eccentric phase, like the lowering phase, because you are a little bit stronger on that kind of phase rather than the concentric where you're actually lifting the weights or pushing it away or technically pulling it towards your body and so we can modify the tempo to actually get a better stimulus for what we're looking for right this is again a little bit we'll, we'll go into this more in depth into the next episode but that is one of the things and one of the things that i always use um tempo for is we'll call it uh standardizing control right so standardizing the actual exercise execution so you don't start off the first exercise or the first rep and be like right cool i just did this perfect rep you recorded it you feel it you do everything you're like okay this is perfect and then the next two three reps they all look different they're all all over the place one is really fast one is really slow one you bounce up and like it's all over the place like we want to standardize what we've created over the last while and one of the ways we can do that is by using some sort of tempo you know and what are your thoughts on tempo again gary i know we will be discussing this in the next episode so just briefly tempo and kind of control in that uh perfect rep if you will yeah i think ultimately like one of the things i like clients to be able to achieve early on it doesn't mean that they need to do it every set or but but is to be able to stop the weight at any point in the rep that you you're basically not just you know riding the wave at any point because that's what you'll see some people do where at the bottom of a squat let's say they kind of shift forward onto the front of their feet and they really bounce out of that bottom position and i mean that's fine to some degree from a performance perspective like if you're just trying to hit a one rep max uh you know do whatever you need to do to get the weight up because that's the only goal, you know, um, within reason. But when it comes to uh, long-term training and developing the skill of lifting and really, you know, achieving that mastery long-term, you want to be able to control every point of that repetition. You know, for example, if it's a a pull-up or a chin-up, you don't want to have to do the little pigeon poke at the top. You know, you're able to come up, you're keeping your shoulders locked down and back and you're able to exhibit that control. Again, doesn't mean every set needs to be like that, but you've achieved that much. So that's something that I like to see is that someone's able to exhibit that control. And the way that we... like a really good way of thinking about that is especially at the extreme ends of the range. You know, like, um, I can't remember who it was, maybe it was Tom Purvis, but you think of it like... uh, 
a car reversing your car into a parking space you know it's like you want to do that nice and slow you want to be able to ease into that like you don't do that in sixth gear you're not just like flying into it rallying it into it pulling a handbrake turn it's like so why would you do that with exercise you know it's like you should be able to ease into that parking space ease out you know like in those end ranges so a way of thinking about that is could you pause in that end range position? Are you in control or are you just using some sort of like, you know, passive structures or just momentum, just that kind of overcoming of inertia to get you through that position? You know, that's in my mind, that's a, a way of thinking about it. Yeah, absolutely. And, there, and there's definitely like screening you can do there in your own training too, where if you are, if you see a massive difference between your continuous reps and your paused reps, like I'd consider that to be a red flag for someone who's probably using a bit, a bit too much momentum, a bit too much of a bounce, you know, um, that's one of the reasons that you pause at the bottom of a bench press in powerlifting, for example, because you're trying to standardize that starting point at the bottom of the rep, rather than having some people who are just willing to crush ribs <laughs> on the way down to get a new uh, world record or whatever so you know test that out for yourself it's something you can do for sure where you know if you're used to doing um i don't know a, a flat dumbbell press with 40 kilo dumbbells for 10 reps that you try and do that now with pauses at the bottom in the stretch position for one to two seconds and check out the difference in your strength. For some people, there mightn't even be a difference. Like there's, that's often the case. Personally, I don't notice that much of a difference between my paused and continuous rep strength. Obviously for very high reps, it makes more of a difference. But if you're someone who lifts with control generally, um, it shouldn't make too much of a difference. So if you're seeing a 20, 30, 40% decrement in strength, once you add a pause, you probably want to work on, on controlling your reps a bit more generally. You know, uh, One of the other things that tempo does, other than standardization, and we'll talk about this further, but um, is actually allow you to control the forces a bit more. Because one of the things that you do is if you drop into the bottom of a squat, that means you're effectively dealing with far more momentum in that bottom position because that weight is accelerating towards the floor. And that means that the force required for you to change direction in that bottom position is much greater than if you had decelerated it on the way down already. Okay, so if you've been slowing that weight down and gradually um, descending, you're dealing with less forces at the bottom that are abruptly spiking. And just a way of conceptualizing that, just because, again, I have a stupid brain. Like if you were to try to catch like a, I don't know, a baseball, right? If you ever try to catch a baseball, like if you just stood there rigid and catch it, like that would hurt your hand, right? You just be like, you just got a baseball straight to the hand, right? Whereas if you caught it and like allowed some of that elastic momentum to kind of carry it with the arm, like you absorb some of that, right? Because you're controlling it. You're kind of controlling that deceleration, you know, so it's not just an abrupt, right? If you just drop into that bottom position, it is basically just that abrupt. It's just that like, boom, right? I just caught that baseball straight, no movement of my hand. You would look like a complete savage when you did that in terms of just catching that baseball, no momentum, whatever, but it would probably hurt your hand. It would probably hurt the hand structure in some way, right? Whereas if you control that deceleration, all of a sudden you're like, oh, that was actually a much more enjoyable experience. I didn't have to hurt my hand to catch that ball. And it's the same with the squat or whatever movement. It's like we control that deceleration and potentially even that change of direction. And then it's actually just a much smoother, more uh, enjoyable experience. 
Yeah. And I mean, it, it, it's an easy example for people as well. Is like, would you rather crash at 10 kilometers an hour or 100 kilometers an hour? You know, <laughs> like it, there's, it's very obvious that the slower one uh, would be better, despite the fact that the mass of the car has not changed. You know, um, you're still dealing with the same car. And whether it's a hundred, when it's 100 kilos in the bar, you're still dealing with 100 kilos in the bar, whether you drop fast or you drop slow. But the difference there is the momentum. Okay, because you're basically the the velocity is much greater. So you have to decelerate that weight and then you have to change its direction. And that's fine at like lower intensities. And for people who are, you know, very resilient, like if you're doing 40% of your one rep max and you drop into the bottom, it's not a big deal because you already had that reserve of strength remaining. Whereas if you're testing a new one rep max and you drop down, that's when you are dealing with very, very large forces that could potentially, you know, um, lead to higher risk of injury, whether that be a tendon injury, ligament injury, et cetera. That's why um, chaotic sports tend to lead to, you know, such um, high rates of injury because it's, it's unpredictable. The more that are the faster and the more chaotic the load is moving, whether it's your body or external load, the higher the risk of injury in general. So you want to try to exhibit control and we'll discuss that in more detail in future anyway, I think. Yeah, I think we'll, the next episode we'll kind of start with that reps because it actually yeah. does lend us to then describing and talking about rep ranges and different things like that and then sets and then allocating volume, et cetera, right? But anyway, look, we'll wrap up this episode because you know that's all we've got time for today. So Gary, where can people find us? Where, you know, where can they interact with us, etc.? Yeah, number one, guys, if you want guidance um, with your training, you know, you want to get on the path yourself and get expert guidance. We do have a number of excellent coaches on the team, if I may say so myself, and we have some spaces available. Um, we're going to be taking on more clients in September than we have had than we have done in recent months. So if you'd like to get in touch um, and work with us, please reach out. You'll find information below, but you can also message any of us on Instagram. and We'll get back to you with further details. Um, so yeah, do get in touch. We do also have the coaches corner. If you're a coach interested in furthering your education, this conversation in particular, if you like anatomy, like the coaches corner is the place to go. I was just speaking with a client, um, recently and not to blow my own trumpet, but one of the things that she was saying was that she liked that this way of learning anatomy um, in my lectures was that I was focusing on what's relevant for exercise because like you'll see behind me there, if you're watching the video, that Gray's anatomy textbook, like, I don't know, is there's 14, 1500 pages or probably more 2000 pages or something. And so much detail, so much irrelevant detail for a personal trainer though. That's the thing. And you're not going to read a conventional anatomy textbook and figure out what's actually relevant for you as a trainer. And similarly, or on the other side of the spectrum, if you get that anatomy textbook, like Patty was showing earlier that you get in, in little or in your local bookstore or whatever, like that's, that's cool. It's perfect for, you know, someone that's getting an introduction, but it's not going to give you the real um, detail that you want as a professional, at least it might be fine for the average gym gore, but if you're a professional, you want to have a bit of a, a deeper understanding, I think. So um, yeah total self-promotion but if you're interested in anatomy get stuck into the coach's corner uh we do also i told you you're an anatomy wizard so yeah there you go you know um 
what can I say? We do also have a number of other um, places where you can follow along with what we're up to. You know, we've got a monthly newsletter just went out last week. So do subscribe in advance of the October edition and you can keep up with some additional content in there. You get a wrap up of what we've been doing with the podcast, etc., cetera, um, and any other news and recommended resources. So check that out. What you can also do is um, follow all of us on our social media. So you can follow Triage Method on Instagram. That's the main place where we post our uh, really informative content. So check that out. You can also follow myself, Skinny Guys, Patty at The Real Patty Farrell, Brian at Brian O'Hengisa, um, and then Shane as what's his name on... on anyway, it doesn't I matter. Shane Story, Story, Brent, maybe. Story 94 or Shane Story. Maybe. I think he used um, to have one that got deleted or something. Ah, fair enough. Well, anyway, you can follow all of our coaches on Instagram. All you have to do is go to Triage Method, look at who we're following on the Triage Instagram, and then you'll see the members of our coaching team. Follow them all, and then you'll get some solid info on your newsfeed every single day. So um, that's what you should do. And of course, if you enjoy the podcast, share the podcast on your story or elsewhere or privately with a friend who you feel would benefit from the podcast. And if you would be so leave a rating and review please fantastic anyway look that's it for today so i hope everyone enjoyed that and uh, as per usual guys you know where to follow us you know where to find us if you have questions you have thoughts comments whatever get in touch and we will hook you up right peace out